For years now, the internet has allowed an artist's music to be used all over the world in a matter of seconds, but tracking those usages and properly accounting for them has been a longer process. However, we're finally starting to see technology come into the marketplace that is specifically designed to find and identify usages and help artists get paid in a significant way. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk to several companies whose roles in digital attribution are making a difference to creators, one microtransaction at a time. It's all coming up on the future of what. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Daryl Ballantyne of Lyric Find. Daryl, welcome to the future of what. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, my first question, of course, is what is Lyric Find and what do you guys do? And I know, I know you do a lot, so we can just take this in pieces. But go ahead and and start. We'll start with the biggest piece, and at, at its core, Lyric Find is an aggregator of all the rights and content for the use of lyrics in the digital world. So we're the back end for websites, streaming services, and mobile applications and other things that you see out there using lyrics like Amazon and Spotify and Google and Pandora and iHeartRadio and a whole bunch of others. That's the biggest part uh, of our business. So we we can start with that one. Yeah, definitely. And that's perfect because that's really what this episode is about this week is sort of digital attribution, right? I mean, you and I met at Music Biz just a couple of weeks ago, and I would say that that was probably the biggest topic in all of Music Biz was was basically credits and how people get properly credited because credits are the foundation of how people are getting paid. And, you know, we've certainly been through it in the last few years in the music industry that we've realized that there's so many places that are now producing cash for artists that you actually, you know, we have to go back even beyond that and start looking at how people are credited so that they can get their money. Yeah, and Music Biz has always been such a great hub for that conversation. It's really goes back to the years and years that Bill Wilson spent building that event and particularly the metadata conversations around it. And he would bang that drum louder than anybody else because that's the way that payment works in the digital world. If you don't have proper credits and proper data to be able to match rights to usage and content, then the usage doesn't happen or people don't get paid and the industry and the consumer suffers the most. So having that proper infrastructure there and that rights information and proper metadata is what enables us to use the lyrics with proper licenses and get publishers and songwriters paid for that use. Exactly. So now talk about what an important part lyrics play in that system. So a big part of it is enabling the consumers to connect with the music. If you think about 
your favorite songs, all of those are ones that you know the lyrics to. When you're at a concert, the best songs that are played are the ones that everybody is singing along with because they know all of the words. And being able to have those associated with the music at the point of consumption of that music just makes the experience so much better. And we see users spending more and more time with streaming services when lyrics are included. We know from the labels that we don't work with them, we work with the publishers, but we hear from labels all the time that they're always trying to make sure that their lyrics are available on these services because people are more likely to include them in playlists if the lyrics are there. The playlists get more usage if the if the lyrics are in there, and that just generates more royalties for everybody. And of course, there's also the aspect of getting it right. You know, If you're not sure what the lyrics are, you're going to be a lot more hesitant to start belting that out <laughs> with your friends or at a show. You don't want to be the person that screws that up. Well, can we talk about that for a second? Because that's something I'm really interested in. You know, you see those sites that have lyrics, but like you can tell that they were just thrown up there by some child. <laughs> <laughs> and like they definitely are not the right lyrics. You know, they're they're very questionable. I mean, I'm assuming that your product, what you guys do, doesn't necessarily overlap with that or does it? It doesn't. I mean, we'll license a lot of those sites and a number of them, if we have the lyrics available, will override their user submissions with our vetted content, but not all of them do. So yeah, you can end up with some pretty terrible lyrics on there and pretty inaccurate stuff. User-generated content for something like lyrics just doesn't really work well, especially after you get past the really popular stuff. Right. The quality and the oversight of the crowd doesn't get very deep into the catalog. So that's why we have a huge content team scattered all over the globe. We have most of our content team is here in Toronto working on our seven core languages, but we also have offices in Morocco and Vietnam working on local languages there to make sure that everything is accurate. We stream everything and transcribe everything to have the best accuracy around so that you don't have that kind of user-generated, low-quality content. And when you're working with the people that, that we are, they have pretty stringent demands when it comes to quality. So that's been our focus from from day one is making sure that everything is right. Yeah. And you told me about this when we met in person, and I just thought it was amazing to think of this team of, I don't know, dozens of people around the globe sitting, listening to music and transcribing. Yeah, it's, it's about 50 people globally right now, and they focus on, yeah, just making sure that everything's right. Our team in Toronto also works on license management and other parts of the the content side as well. But yeah, that's their focus is getting it right. It's an important part for sure. So now how did you get into this? I mean, this seems like a pretty niche thing to do. (laughs) How did this come up? It kind of just happened. We were in university when we were first getting things started. And I was always that guy that everybody would come to who could name that tune. I was the one who People would say, who sings this song or what's the name of the song that goes like this? And I would usually know the answer. And sadly, I've basically lost all that knowledge (laughs) now. But one of my co-founders, Chris Book, was trying to figure out the name of a song. And 
I actually didn't know what it was. And he went and tried to figure it out online and came back and said, all the lyric sites out there suck. None of them let you search by lyrics. And let's start our own. So sure, that was March of 2000. We decided to try to start a lyric site, quickly realized that we needed licensing for that. So we didn't have it up for very long. But one thing led to another. And Three years later, I ended up doing an internship at EMI in LA and on the label side. And then a year after that, when I was supposed to go back and work at EMI full time, we decided to restart the lyrics business as an aggregator, though the industry had progressed more and was willing to license things on the internet rather than shut them down. And we started getting licenses to be able to monetize all the activity that we knew was happening on these lyric sites. That is amazing. So now, you know, it's like publishers, I imagine, are are sort of the people who are specifically benefiting. They're the biggest beneficiaries. Yeah. They're the ones that we pay the royalties to. Exactly. And what have you seen in terms of royalties? Are they increasing considerably? Yeah. I mean, we've grown every year. Every year since the beginning, we've paid out more royalties than we have in the year prior. And it continues to get bigger and bigger. And as you see, the growth of, of streaming services, as they get bigger, so do we just naturally. But as more and more services add in lyrics functionality, it just compounds it even more. Plus, all of the new services that we're launching to earn even more royalties for publishers and songwriters, like our merch division that, that we talked about before, is a great opportunity for publishers and songwriters to earn additional income from an area that was a little bit lacking. And a lot of it was unlicensed. Right. I mean, this is exciting for people like me, you know, record label owners. And, you know, this would be the same for managers as well as independent artists. But, you know, most independent artists who have a team, you know, even if you don't have a team, this is something that is interesting to you. Because one of the biggest problems we've had in the Internet, you know, it's like anything else. Like you just said, sort of, you know, the Internet started one way and then it changed over time to to turn into something that you guys could create a product for. But that's one of the problems is it was sort of an unregulated marketplace for a really long time. And now it's starting to finally be regulated in a way that like, for example, you know, if there's someone out there who thinks it's a great idea to print some Elliott Smith lyrics on a t-shirt and then sell that t-shirt on their website, I had no way of knowing that, you know, for years and years. And now we do. Yeah. One of the big things that we're working on there is the monetization of existing activity. And this is what we did with Lyric websites. We went to those Lyric websites and we didn't want to shut them down. We wanted to license them. We wanted them to continue to exist in a way that was financially viable for them and for the rights holders. And we want to do the same thing with Lyric merchandise, being able to go to all the platforms that enable that type of activity and work with the platforms and work with the sellers directly to not have them stop selling it, but have them pay a fair licensing fee for it and collect that and distribute it to the rights holders using our royalty system. There's no reason why they can't continue. It's just the artists, and in this case, when I say artists, I'm really talking about the writers, but they need to be compensated. They need to be paid for the use of their work. And I don't think that there's anybody in the world that would argue with that. So let's just figure out a fair price and monetize the existing activity and create a new revenue stream. 
Absolutely. Totally. Well, you guys at Lyric Find do so many things that are cool that there's probably not enough time for us to talk about all of them. But I did want you to talk a little bit about Lyric Search. Yeah, Search is a great tool for discovery. If you think about every time you've had a song running through your head and you don't know who sings it or what the name of it is, the only way to find that song is by searching for the lyrics. You know, Or if you're out at a store or somewhere out in public and you hear a song that's playing and you, know, you, you can't get your phone out fast enough to tag it with Shazam or Soundhound, what are you going to remember? You're going to remember a line or two from the song to be able to search for it. So having that ability to search through the database really enhances the discovery process. So if you think about even a, as a small independent artist that isn't necessarily going to make a ton of money off of the displays of lyrics, the ability for them to be discovered by people who hear their music somewhere else and are hearing it for the first time and would have no way to find it otherwise having their lyrics in our database enables that discovery to happen. It enables people to use voice search to ask for a song to be played. It enables them to, to search online through the various different platforms and figure out who that artist is and what that song is. And that can lead them to not just additional streaming royalties or downloads, but also building up a great fan relationship where they buy your merchandise, they go to your shows, and they introduce other people to your music. So it just compounds the benefits. Absolutely. I think if you guys haven't already started talking to smart speaker manufacturers, you totally should, because that would be like the greatest. Yeah, I mean, we work with both Amazon and Google for their lyrics implementations. So it's it's certainly a big focus of ours. And Amazon has said publicly many times that Search by Lyrics is the biggest music search use case with Alexa. Wow. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In my house, that's totally, we do that all the time. Well, Daryl Ballantyne, CEO and founder of Lyric Find, thanks so much for coming and being with me on the future of what today? Well, thank you for having me. It's always great to talk.
was Jay Walker Blues by The Minx. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. I get a ton of songs in my inbox every day, but managing them is a hassle. Disco makes managing and showcasing your music a breeze. It's like all the best bits of iTunes, SoundCloud, Dropbox, and MailChimp in one place. Whether you're an artist, manager, producer, sync rep, label, or music supervisor, Disco lets you manage and share your most valuable asset, your music. Head over to disco.ac backslash future for a free trial. Plans start at just $10 a month. And when you're ready to go, use offer code future for 20% off. You're listening to the future of what? I'm talking to Amadea Choplin of PEX. Amadea, welcome to the future of what? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you. So PEX, this is a global video and music search engine, but I definitely am going to need you to explain to me and my listeners what it is that you guys do. Absolutely. So it's a search engine in the sense that if you think of Google, you type in a word and then you see all instances of that word appearing on the internet. And so we built a search engine for music and video so that when you plug into our system a song or a video, we then find all instances of that song or part of that song or part of that video reappearing on any of the open streaming platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We follow about 30 streaming platforms out there, and that helps us to find all the re-uploads of your song, of your music, of your videos, and aggregate that data too so that you better understand how large your global audience is, not just on your channels, but with everybody else that is using your content out there. So there's sort of two things that this is accomplishing. One is to do some data analysis and find out who's listening and watching where and how. 
And then the other is kind of like a rights management thing. So people can make sure that they're not missing out on certain income streams. Is that right? That's right. So with that technology, you get a constant real-time flow where you can see every time your music or, you know, even down to just one second of that content appearing in another piece of somebody else's work. So say there's a wedding video or a cat video or somebody doing a mix and putting it on SoundCloud, all of those individual instances appear in our interface. And so you can see, oh, here that person used five seconds of my content at three minutes in their song that they uploaded, et cetera. And then you can decide what actions you want to take on that. Do you just want to know that it's there? For now, there's nothing else that lets you kind of understand where it is and what people are doing with it. That's the first thing. Then do you want to monetize it? Uh, Does that person have a license to use your content? Do you use the technologies that are out there to just claim part of the revenue on the advertising that's playing on that video? So that's another way of monetizing it. And then the third thing that you might want to do is take it down if it's completely unauthorized and you don't want it out there. So that's kind of the rights management piece. And so this is kind of a list like you would imagine on Google with every instance of your work appearing somewhere else. And then there is the analytics aspect of things where we can see in total how many people viewed your content. It might be, you know, a hundred thousand people on your personal channel. And you know that there was a sync license that you obtained for a show. And so it's going to appear there too. But then there's all these other instances that might make it a hundred times more than that. And so understanding how large your audience is and where they're hearing or watching your content, if it's on TikTok, if it's on Twitter, if it's on Instagram, wherever it is, and really understanding who's using your content, what they're doing with it, and the aggregate of that is also part of what we do. Do you do it for the U.S. only or is it international? No, it's international. So we also track platforms like, well, obviously the platforms like YouTube and Instagram and Twitter are completely international. And so we see anything that pops up on there that is publicly available. But then there's also platforms like Yuku in China and VK in Russia. You know, there's more than a billion videos right now on VK in Russia. So it's it's a massive platform that people might not think about, but through which a lot of people in the world consume music and videos. And so that's also kind of a a large audience out there. And who is your client? Immediately, it pops into my mind that labels would want to use this, managers and artists themselves. Is that really who you're targeting for a client base? Yeah, absolutely. So anyone who creates content. So it might be managers. So we work with all the kind of major music industry players, publishing companies, recording labels, but also production music companies, and then, you know, film studios, viral video companies that aggregate, you know, these kind of GIF form type videos because our engine will spot the content even down to one second. So even if there is a meme or a GIF that's created out there, 
we'll spot that too. There's anyone also doing any kind of marketing work, so advertising and the like. Anyone who creates content or who wants to understand how content travels. So what we'll also get from our search engine is this overall view of the platforms that are out there, how many videos are uploaded every day on YouTube or on Facebook, how much music is contained in those videos, how big is gaming really on these platforms. All these kind of questions are things that we can answer. Are you guys putting out any white papers on the data that you're finding? Or are you working with any schools that are doing research on this? Because this seems like it's really great data that someone should be reporting on. Yeah, we have we have a lot of data. And so we do publish uh, things from time to time. We also are working with Carnegie Mellon and some of their students with Harvard as well. And so we're definitely giving our data so that there can be some analytics done to it and, and, and further work. And then we have people in-house who do that too. And so, you know, in terms of having the same workforce as, as other companies out there, might it's not quite the same, but we definitely publish the content as and when we think it might be interesting. Yeah, it seems really fascinating to me. Do you guys have any thoughts? I mean, just sort of pulling out of the conversation specifically about you guys, do you guys have any thoughts on what the passage of the European Copyright Directive, like how that might affect the industry? Absolutely. So that's also something that we're definitely working on. Essentially, the passage of the directive changes things for platforms and for creators. So what's really missing out there is attribution. So that's why we call this our attribution engine. And the problem with platforms is that when the content is uploaded, they might not know who was the original creator. And so they have some licenses maybe with the majors, some don't have any licenses at all. And so the directive does multiple things. A, it makes it necessary for the platforms to seek these licenses in the first place so that copyrighted work is licensed and their users might be able to use it and upload it to their own videos. And then it makes it also mandatory for them to have some kind of detection system in place to better understand when individual users are uploading a mix or a remix to understand that there might be copyrighted content in there and that they are now liable for distributing that content. And so on the side of the creators, we're building an engine where they can freely upload their content and be given that attribution every time their content is re-uploaded by other people. So not only when themselves uploaded, but also when everybody else reuses it. And on the platform side, understand who that content belongs to, even if it's not on their account, if it's on other people's accounts, and be able to appropriately pay them for their work. Oh, that's exciting. In terms of samples or, or little pieces of songs that maybe people are using in remixes or something, how difficult is that to find as opposed to a full song? Well, the current market standard is to limit the the fingerprint, it's called a fingerprint that we take. So that works a little bit like Shazam. It takes a song and it creates a coded version of it. And then that's how we then hear that it's the same 
music or the same video. And so that's how it works. And the current market standard for that is to recognize it at about 20 seconds. What we do is we go down to one second of recognizable content. And we also allow for extreme distortions, quality differences. If the content is just the melody, it'll be recognized. So we go a lot further than what's currently existing on the market to make it extremely accurate. Wow. And does that work? I mean, I know that there have been very famous lawsuits recently about, you know, infringement where people are saying that certain songs sound enough like other songs to be liable for damages. So it does seem like perhaps that'd be hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there there's two aspects of it. There's, you know, recognizing the song and then there is the aspect of, you know, the, the legal aspect behind it and what's allowed, what's not allowed. And so, you know, sometimes it gets into things that are way beyond what the technology hears or finds and more about what the lawyers argue, essentially, and what the artists claim. Were they inspired by it? Was this completely random? Then it gets into kind of a different argument. One thing that is particularly challenging is, for example, beats. A lot of beats might sound the same. So things like that are definitely challenges that, you know, we're always working on and improving. Wow. So is the fingerprinting technology that you use, is that proprietary or is there an industry standard for that? No, that's proprietary. That's our own fingerprinting technology. Wow. So was the person who started PEX a software engineer? Yeah, he's a software engineer. His name is Rasti Turek. He is a former security engineer and so understands kind of large data sets very well. And he started the company essentially wanting to create like a Shazam, but for video. So you'd be in a room, there's something on the screen, you want to know what that is. Oh, you point your phone at it and then it tells you, oh, this is episode three of season one of the Big Bang Theory. And that's what you're watching. And, you know, essentially there was not a lot of interest for that, but what there was an interest in was more this attribution for everything that gets re-uploaded online. And so that's how PAX was created. Wow. Well, that is fascinating (laughs) and also incredibly useful. Isn't that funny how sometimes a lot of tech comes online as, you know, sort of a solution in search of a problem? And that is definitely something where this tech found its problem because that is a huge problem in the music industry and something we've all been working on for a really long time. So. Exactly. And I used to work on the platform side and actually it was really frustrating because we knew that copyrighted content was getting uploaded on our platform and we had already put in place some market standard solutions to counter that. And, you know, really it just wasn't working. It wasn't doing the trick and there was way too much scale for us to deal with. And so that was really the issue was also how much content is uploaded. So if you Look at YouTube, for example, there's more than 700 hours of content uploaded every minute. So when you need to fingerprint (laughs) all of that content to make sure that there is no copyright on any of this content, that's a huge technical challenge. Beyond the fingerprint, it's also the scale that's a huge issue. And that's just one platform. You know, there's 40 that we track and some of them are absolutely huge. And now we have more than 17 billion videos and songs in our database, which represents 
all of the content that's uploaded on these platforms. And so that was really a, a massive issue and one that, you know, YouTube, when they developed their content ID solution, they spent more than $100 million to do it. And that's just for their own platform. And so what we managed to do is make it so technically performant that it costs just a fraction of that. And that's really also part of the issue. Wow. Fantastic. Well, Amadea Choplin from PEX, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you so much for having me.
That was Here We Are by Red Cabin. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Stephen White from Dubset. Stephen, welcome to The Future of What? Thanks for having me. So, first of all, we are talking this week about music attributions, credits, you know, the fact that this has really risen to be an important topic in the music industry today. And Dubset is an interesting platform. I wondered if you could first tell us a little bit about what Dubset does, and then we can talk about how it's helpful with accreditation. Sure. So Dubset is a platform for the identification, clearance, and legal distribution of mixed content and remixed content. So anything that's been changed from its original form and put into either a long-form DJ mix or an unofficial remix. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the post-sample world that we live in? Like, what went down with that? I mean, I think a lot of people are probably pretty confused about how that whole thing happened. Well, I mean, I think a couple of things happened. First is software has evolved to the point where you you really don't have to be an audio engineer anymore to sample content. And so as it became easier and easier for consumers to sample, there was an explosion of content creation that happened. And at the same time, distribution platforms like YouTube were born, and that provided an outlet for this content to be distributed. At the time, you know, this is, you know, over 10 years ago, the recognition technologies that were in place at that point really weren't to the point where they could handle the amount of volume and the amount of content that ended up being distributed. And so services like YouTube, when they were acquired by Google, and then SoundCloud coming after it, ended up having to put blanket deals in place with rights holders to allow for this type of behavior to happen. And that really was the birth of this kind of post-sampling era where anybody can take anything, create something new, and just put it out there in the world in a way that doesn't require some of the licensing and some of the permissions that used to be required to do these kind of things. Is there any law about this at this point? Or is there something that it's like if you're using a sample that's less than 30 seconds long or something, that's okay, but longer you have to get it properly licensed? No. You know, in in hip hop, there was a couple cases back in the early days of hip hop where they were, you know, looking at fair use and how much a piece of copyrighted material could be used without having to obtain a license. And what they found was, you know, if you could recognize the original song, if it was long enough to recognize the original song, you need a license. And so that means there really is no protection for you. If you're using somebody else's stuff, you know, you have to have a license. You have to do it the right way. There's no free license or compulsory license around any of this stuff the way there is with some other uses of content. So everybody has to get licensed. So that's what Dubset has been set up to help with? Yeah. And then the way, you know, the way the licensing works historically is, you know, you have to figure out 
you know, what the song is that you're using. You'd have to figure out who recorded that song. So who's the artist that recorded it? You'd have to figure out who wrote the song or, you know, how many writers wrote the song and who their publishers were. And then you'd have to go to all those different entities and put these bespoke licenses in place, which could take anywhere from 12 months to 24 months to negotiate and could cost you, you know, a tremendous amount of money in legal fees in addition to any kind of advances and things on top to use the content. So what that means is the average person was just not able to do this. And even for small artists, it just was such a prohibitive, you know, methodology that most people just stopped doing it, just stopped using samples unless they were going to distribute their stuff into SoundCloud and YouTube and just use it as a mechanism to become discovered. You know, folks like San Holo, for example, you know, using a Martin Gay sample or a Dr. Dre sample, only to get discovered and signed to Sony Music and then stop using samples altogether. <laughs> so, so, so what we've done is we've, we've created a platform that combines a content recognition technology called Mixcan with a set of broad licenses that give us catalog-wide use of today over 55 million tracks. And then it's a, it's a rules-based system so that the rights holders can set rules around how their content's used. And then what that does, it allows us to process content that's created by content creators at scale, clear it, legally distribute it in a way that the content creator doesn't have to worry about all this licensing. It's all taken care of by Dubset. We do all the licensing for you. You can just bring your content to us. We will clear it. We will distribute it on your behalf. It can now legally be distributed out to our distribution partners like Apple and Spotify and Tidal, and you can then, you know, get your content out there in the world. That's really interesting because I feel like there are other platforms which do it the opposite way. The person who creates a beat or a melody or some, you know, a piece, a little piece of music, there are platforms out there where they can take their stuff and enter into a deal where other people can come to that site to use it. So that's different. Yep, like Splice and, and platforms like that. That is different. Yep. We're focused on commercially distributed content. So if you if you want to use a sample of somebody else's song or you want to create a mix or a remix of somebody else's song and you want to do that using the commercial catalog that's currently in existence, Dubset can make that available to you. We're not a platform for, a, you know, pairing up a beat maker with a producer. Splice does that well. Other folks do that well. We're also not a site for kind of bespoke, you know, sample licensing. There's folks that do that as well. What we've tried to do is create a platform that takes this amazing amount of content, really focused on DJs to start. Because DJs, in our mind, you know, DJs are kind of the ultimate content creators, ultimate content curators, especially in the hip-hop and electronic and dance genres you know, kind of create these amazing musical journeys for you as a consumer. And none of that content was able to leave, you know, these UGC platforms. We just, we thought that was absolutely crazy. Why can't you go listen to a DJ Jazzy Jeff set on Apple Music or Spotify? There's no reason you shouldn't be able to. And so we created a system to clear that content and enable those mixes and those remixes to be distributed. So you guys find the original music creators and get those people paid under a specific license? So we've entered into deals with all of the rights holders, the labels and publishers, over 55,000 labels and publishers on the platform. 
we enter into deals directly with the content creators, the DJs. And then for some of the DJs, they, they can participate in revenue today. For most of the DJs, we offer them free services. We offer them free clearance. We offer them free distribution. We set up their artist pages for them inside of Apple Music and Spotify. And we give them the ability to distribute the content that they're creating risk-free, meaning that we take on 100% of the responsibility for clearing and distributing that content with no liability risk back to the content creator. So you do that for free, but they have to pay the rights holders. No, they don't pay anything. So it's free for the content creators. We don't charge them anything for those services, nor do we share the revenue that's, that's created from the monetization of that content. That all goes back to the original rights holders. Oh, I got it. I got it. I was trying to figure out where the money went. <laughs> now I get it. Yep, the money all goes back to the original labels and publishers. But the goal here, again, for the DJs is to give them a path to be able to legally distribute their stuff create, you know, direct-to-fan interactions, create fan bases on these platforms, and be able to use those to understand where their fans are, helps them figure out where they should be touring, and gives them the ability to, you know, get their content out in the world without having to worry about it. That's really interesting. That's a very unique, specific thing that you guys are doing. Do you feel like this has a wider application as time goes on to some of those people who perhaps unlike DJs, aren't really thinking about it in those terms, but are just using music in their UGC uploads? Sure. The platform itself, the combination of a licensing marketplace, and it really is kind of a marketplace because it allows the rights holders to set these rules that can be specific to specific types of usage. In other words, you know, if you're using music for UGC video, here's the set of rules. If you're using music for a podcast, here are the set of rules. If you're using music for DJ mix, here are the set of rules. The combination of that with a content identification system like ours has very, very broad applications. You can apply it to, I just mentioned a few of them, podcasting, UGC video, UGC audio and video combined. You can apply it to still photos. You can apply it to written word and books. There's many different applications to the technology across the whole spectrum of content creation because... In all aspects of content creation, there's the same problem happening where people have access and the ability to use these pieces and bits and and parts of other things. And without a a strong identification platform in front of a set of licenses, you have no way of knowing what they're using. Once you know what they're using, then a licensing structure that is rules-based and can scale is hugely important to be able to make sure you can process the vast amounts of content that are being created every day and then enable that stuff to be monetized appropriately. It's especially, I mean, you mentioned podcasts. I think that's so useful for people who do podcasts to know about because I'm, I'm asked that question almost every day. How do you properly license music for a podcast? And, you know, with podcasts, I mean, I don't even know what the number is, but I'm sure there's hundreds of new podcasts a day, if not more. More, yeah, more, especially thousands and, and expected to be you know, hundreds of thousands over the next couple of years. Yeah. And so it's something that we're very focused on that right now. We think it's a, a really big opportunity. I mean, we do have the entire catalog of music that we license. So, you know, making that catalog available to podcasters to be able to tap into that catalog and use commercial music in their podcasts under license with a known set of licensing terms we think is very, very valuable to the marketplace. 
valuable to podcasters, to their creativity, the ability to tap in and use sets of libraries, but also very valuable to the rights holders to know that they can you know, license this stuff at scale and allow it to be used. And so how much has your organization grown since you've started it? You know, we're still relatively small. We're a little less than just under 30 people. You know, we've grown, obviously, from, you know, two or three to 30. And so, you know, over the course of a couple of years. But it's been a really heavy build here. We've had to build out a significant amount of technology. We've had to put a, you know, a tremendous number of licensing deals in place. And so it's taking some time to do that. But we're really on the cusp of some huge, huge growth here over the course of the next couple of years. So the company will double, triple in size, you know, over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I was I was just thinking it must be because this is such an important solution to something that's a real problem in the industry. And I feel like I've been really lucky because I feel like in the last 10 years, the last 10 years have been filled with tech solutions to problems that I don't personally have and like very few people I know actually have. But all of a sudden, just in the last like six months, I've been meeting people like you who have these really important solutions to really true serious problems in the industry. So it's very exciting. It's a really interesting time. I think there's across the industry, there's a set of entrepreneurs who are really focused on really rebuilding some of the infrastructure of the industry in a modern way that works for, you know, today's use cases and we think for future applications as well. It's an exciting time because, you know, when you start to look at all of these pieces, it really is a full kind of rebuild of the core foundation of the business and using technology in ways that enable scale, that unlock creativity, that let creators be creators without having to worry about the underlying plumbing of how this all works. It's it's super exciting. You know, we think we're doing something really important. We know of others that are doing great, important work as well in similar fashion. So we're really excited about what it means for creativity. It unlocks you know, the ability for artists to be artists and creators to be creators and just to, to do what they do best, which is be creative. Right. And it also gets the artists paid, the musicians, you know, the people who created the original content, which I think is the step that has been lacking for years now. Yeah, there's this kind of very blinding focus in the media and in the industry to talk about streaming. You know, I think we tend to lump a lot of what we're talking about here today into that bucket. And it is, there are lots of different pieces and parts to streaming. I think we all tend to get very focused on, you know, a Spotify penny rate. But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that in a world where it's really about collecting pennies or pieces of pennies, that you've got, you know, as broad a funnel possible open to the artist to collect every penny possible. Because it, it really is hugely important to artists, especially independent artists, that they get paid every single piece of revenue that they do across the entire industry. Because that's the only way it's going to be a you know, viable career for somebody. Exactly. And on that note, Stephen White is the CEO of Dubset. Thanks so much, Stephen, for being with me today on The Future of What? Thanks for having me again. It was a pleasure speaking with you.
was Hand Grenade by Team Drash. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard The Minx, Red Cabin, Team Drash, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your-